0: Welcome to Live in the Air podcast, your show with interviews and insights on meditation, mindfulness and consciousness. I'm your host, Giovanni Dinstman. This is episode number 14, and I'm interviewing a very special guest, an enlightened yogi called Shivarudra Balayogi henceforth referred to as Babaji. This is a podcast about the spiritual path of devotion and meditation, the traditional guru-disciple relationship, and the intense spiritual practice called tapas, that culminates in complete and permanent liberation. As you know, the Live and Dare blog is about meditation, personal growth and non-sectarian spirituality. This specific podcast episode is focused on spiritual life and spiritual awakening from a very traditional point of view. If you're highly skeptical, or only interested in meditation for stress relief and health purposes, this episode won't speak to you much. You can refer to our other episodes for that. But if you're seeking enlightenment, spiritual awakening, then this is a gem. In the past 16 years in my journey, I have met several spiritual figures, teachers, masters, monks, yogis, but only two of them I felt in my heart are fully enlightened, or self-realized. Babaji is one of them. I recorded this after the first day retreat in Perth, Australia, in October 2015. I couldn't keep this episode to the regular 40 minutes because there was a lot of interesting experiences and concepts covered, so I did less editing than usual. Also, this recording happened in an open room with not the best audio conditions, so the quality would not be as clear as what you're used to, and some background noise will be there. But the message still shines through powerfully. In the first half we are talking about his early years in the spiritual path, and meeting with his master, Shiva Balayogi Maharaj. Then we talk about his process of tapas, and how he finally became awakened. At the end, I ask him some general questions about spiritual practice. There are said to be four paths to liberation. Knowledge, devotion, service, and meditation. You can read more about this at livendarecom slash what is spirituality with hyphens. For Babaji, the path was strongly a devotional one, with his guru embodying the idea of self-realization. It was also intensely a path of meditation, especially towards the end of it when he was meditating an average 18 hours a day, every day, for five years. Babaji, of all teachers I met, has the highest standards. He defines that the true meditation state starts only when you can keep the mind perfectly concentrated, undistracted by any thoughts, for one hour or more. And the highest spiritual practice, called tapas, is when you can keep in this state for at least eight hours at a stretch. Tapas means to cook or burn. It culminates in a state called Nirvikalpa Samadhi, in which the ego and all the mental tendencies dissolve permanently. After that, there is no further need for meditation. I hope this interview will be inspiring for you, as it was for me.
1: Truth, the ultimate truth is the real self, and to achieve this tremendous amount of detachment from the unreal is needed. So that's how he talks of knowledge, devotion and detachment. Knowledge of the real, that is self and detachment to the unreal and devotion to achieve this truth. So these things sat in my mind. So this is what I went on learning. And after some time as a teenager, I came to know about Maharshi Ramana of Tiruvannamalai in southern part of India. His teachings also attracted me uh, who am I, so because uh, that was one query I used to ask myself as a child of 11, 12 years old also, ki if uh, as the scriptures taught that uh, I am that immortal soul, That is the truth. Why is that I am not aware of that truth and what has made me to um, forget this truth of myself. Always I seem to be conscious of this physical body about my own personality or my own existence. What is the truth and other thoughts, peculiarly I used to feel a bit restless at the sight of this world just for no reason, because my childhood was comfortable, my father was a doctor and I had very loving siblings, mother, everything was fine. Still I used to miss something and in my throat some pain, unknown pain used to happen as if I'm missing something, I need to get that one as if I have come to the place where I do not belong to. This type of thoughts used to come. Also another peculiar thought was coming was, is there any technology to switch off the entire universe with the press of the button? So that was what the thoughts were coming to my mind. This very thought gave me a lot of peace and tranquility in the mind. So that's what progressively it led me towards the spirituality. As I was reading these two sages, I used to visualize also and pray to the divine, may I be blessed to have such a guru who liberated himself and who can lead me towards liberation. And then you met Swamiji. And then through a very strange experience, I happened to meet uh, Swamiji, my Guru Shiva Balayogi. It happened in Mysore when I was in the university in 1971. In front of our home, there was a temple, Hanuman's temple was there. I was fond of serenity and solitude. Also, when in whichever temple this serenity was there, I used to go and sit. So, early morning, I used to go to this temple. And the idols there of divine were the best friends for me. I used to be keep talking to them. And that became like a contemplation also. And sometimes I used to be sitting under a tree there and contemplate. And one of those days I heard a voice whispering to my ear, Shiva Balayogi is your guru and you will get everything from him. So when I lifted my head and tried to see who it was, I didn't see any person standing there. I was wondering and the next two, three days, three days, I think, I went around to all the temples of the town of Mysore with the idea the person who told me about Shiva Balayogi would recognize, come to me and may tell more details about Shiva Balayogi because at that moment I didn't know who Shiva Balayogi was and where he decided all such things I had never heard at all. So on the third day again when I was walking on the streets of the town's market, I heard the same voice whispering, if you go to St. Raghavendra's temple, you will know about your Guru. I rushed to the temple. St. Raghavendra lived about more than 300 years in southern part of India. He is supposed to be a great self-realized soul and he has Samadhi temples in almost every important town of India and abroad also. He is a very well known saint. So I went there and I sat for some time, a priest was narrating uh, Lord Krishna's story and that was quite interesting. At the end of the story, one person came and spoke to me, he was a bit aged one, and he asked me, uh, have you run away from home fighting with parents? Why are you here listening to the divine story? You look very young. I was 16 years old, in the society there is a notion that you should go towards God only after retirement from the world. I said there is no such thing, I haven't fought or I haven't run away. I'm looking for Shiva Balayogi. Then he said Shiva Balayogi is my guru too and he he resides in Bengaluru he has an ashram so come to my home, I will give you his uh, brief life history also. So that person took me home and gave, gave me my, Swamiji's uh, uh, short biography. I took home, I read that one and I saw all the photographs that was printed during the young age of Swamiji during his tapas. So I just already had fallen in love with him And uh, one message Swamiji gave after his tapas that uh, humanity have forgotten themselves, and that is why they are into conflicts. They should try to know themselves. So this uh, appealed to me that how here is self-realized soul, and I can accept him as a guru. So I went uh, to give back that book. on a Sunday, in the first week of February 1971, I had met that person in the temple and on a Wednesday I went back to give that book to him back again and he said that on Friday Swamiji is coming to Mysore to give on a public darshan. So I was very lucky I thought. So on the third day I went with him and I met Swamiji. So that was how meeting my Guru happened. Mm. And
2: before we move forward, uh, many of our listeners will not be familiar with the word tapas. Could you
1: explain what tapas means? Tapas is the highest pitch of meditation, what my Guru used to tell. Uh, meditation means your attention to, paying attention. You become attentive, all your awareness is there. Like my guru used to tell, if you can keep the mind totally controlled and to thoughtlessness, focused for one hour without any thoughts arising, that is the real meditation. Until then you are trying to meditate. When one is able to do like this for more than 8 to 10 hours in a stretch, then a person can do tapas. Tapas word is used, it is like uh, free to make the things fully ripe, cook or burn, all these meanings come. So here whatever the mind would have acquired, habits since time immemorial, maybe so many lives would have passed by. They are all sitting in the subconscious state as habits of the mind which becomes the attitude and which induces a person to go into such type of actions. So all these things need to be cleansed, burnt and purified. Then only what remains is the pure consciousness of existence. So that is when the mind can go into samadhi and in deeper samadhi called the nirvikalpa samadhi, a person can realize one's own self as that immortal soul That is when the mind would have abandoned all cravings and would have been absorbed into the self, settles there peacefully in total composure and in total contentment. So this is uh, the meaning of tapas somewhat that I can tell.
2: So when you became a disciple of Swamiji, How did your life look at the time? What type of experiences, lifestyle and challenges
1: did you encounter? Well, uh, just before I met him physically, one day before, I had a beautiful dream also. Though these things might appear to be an illusion or an imagination, whatever it is, they serve to guide me and my consciousness my path and it gave me such inclinations, inspirations altogether. Like in the dream, what I saw was there is a pitch darkness. I was standing in the queue. Somebody comes and takes me. He, Swamiji is waiting for you. Why are you in the queue? You don't have to be. So through another door he takes me inside. My guru was sitting on the dais on the tiger skin and on seeing me, he asked Ki, hey, What do you want? So as I was, you see in the dream also what came for that I asked him I need jnana, bhakti, vairagya, knowledge, devotion and the detachment because I was very much used to that I think my mind got, had got tuned into these things already so that's when I asked him. Then in the dream he gives a small stick to me telling you will get everything of this world. So after taking the stick, I tell I want Swamiji, I want you only. So then he takes back that stick, telling, if you want God, you this stick is of no use. This can give you only worldly things, give it back, taking that. So he breaks into two pieces and throws it away and afterwards I come out. Then a policeman comes, tells him, it is pitch darkness in the midnight, where are you going? Then Swamiji from inside gives a wife and he is my son adopted, I have adopted him, don't trouble him, let him go. So this was the dream and also in the dream another important thing that I was initiated into a mantra, Om Shivaya Shivabala Yukindraya Parabrahmanaya. Swamiji recited this into my ears, asked me, if you repeat this mantra, you will come to me very soon. So when I woke up from the dream, I was already chanting that Om Shivaya Shivabal Yugindraya, Parabrahmanaya. So I was struck. So then I went to meet Swamiji next day with that person who told me about Swamiji. So I was there. I just saw Swamiji coming in a car he was sitting behind with a lion cloth, matted hair and his aura was so beautiful, I just saw him and I think all my total attention, mind's 100% consciousness energy went and set on him. I had fallen in love, love outside. More than that, at that time it was totally inexplicable for me. I couldn't explain anything else. Like for example, after I went home, I told my mother, I think I have found him, now I need to go. You have looked after me for 16 years, please bless me now. I will go to my Guru. Nearly for two to two and a half hours we were arguing. My mother was trying to test my uh, sincerity and what I experienced. I was trying to convince her, like uh, she asked me a question. How do you know that he is a genuine yogi? What atmosphere in the ashram? Are you sure that you can give up your home, you can forget all of us and live in the ashram once for all? Will it be possible you ask yourself? What I answered was, I don't know whether that person is a great yogi or a bad guy, whoever it is. What I know is, I have fallen in love with him. This much I know 100% because it is this is mine. Other than that I don't know what that personality is and I'm sure I will never regret. Bless me, I will go. Well, finally my mother told you stay back for three more years with me. By then you can finish your studies also. Even after three years also if your concentration and attention is unwavering towards him, then I will send and bless you. So thus I stayed back for three years. So whenever she permitted, I used to visit his ashram in Bangalore uh, during function days. Means uh, whichever date he had sat for tapas and completed that tapas, which was the seventh August. And his birthday, 24th January, every year these used to be celebrated in the ashram by devotees. There used to be mass feeding, a big fire sacrifice and his darshan. So I used to visit. So during that day, how much mad I had become about him. that I used to stand in the queue, enter the small hall where he used to be sitting on a dais and giving darshan. He was a man of very few words, I think. He hardly spoke. He used to be silently giving darshan, so that was it. So I used to go touch his feet, then come out, again join the queue, and go in again, Look, keep looking all that time, the chance that I used to get to be inside that hall. I could never remove my eyes from him. I used to be just watching him all the time. More than this, no other imagination came. It was like a madness. Several hours I used to be going like that. Only when the darshan used to finish, then I used to come back to Mysore. So that was how and finally in 1974, when I wrote to him that I would like to join the ashram and serve you, At that time I didn't have any idea of tapas or doing tapas or any such thing, just I had fallen in love. So I wanted to go to him and serve him. So I didn't know that he had an ashram in Dehradun, northern part of India, at the foothills of Himalayas. I had heard that he had an ashram in his native place which is in coastal Andhra Pradesh, southern part of India and Bangalore also South India. So I had written I would like to stay either in Bangalore or in his uh, native village, hamlet at uh, that place. But he wrote you can come and stay in Dehradun Ashram. This is very conducive uh, for your sadhana and staying also. So that's how finally in nineteen seventy four he sent me there. He had, uh, I went there after he came back to Bangalore then he sent me, uh, that's how I went to Dehradun in 1974. It's now nearly 41 years. I was 20 years old at that time. I just went. And what was the, what type of meditation techniques did your Guru taught you? He taught me the silent watching in between eyebrows. You have to keep your eyes closed and concentrate your mind and sight in between eyebrows and just keep watching there by focusing the attention. You don't have to repeat anything. No mantra, no name, nothing. And the third point he used to ask was, do not imagine anything. And to the duration of meditation, do not open your eyes. So this is the technique he gave. This was what the technique I used to practice.
2: And how long were
1: you practicing meditation at the per Day? Uh, very soon, within a couple of years, I had picked up to sit at least seven hours of meditation, apart from looking after the, attending to the chores of the ashram that was needed. Uh, I used to work everywhere, whether it was dusting the ashram, Cooking in the kitchen, i uh, looking after the accounts, office work, everywhere, wherever he wanted me. So I had learnt a little little of everything. So after attending to all this, then I used to make a one or two chapatis for me and go behind into the bushes where there used to be a fruit orchard. Also, I used to sit down and used to practice this meditation. Apart from this. Uh, one book that he had recommended when I requested him to talk about some philosophy, he said, "If you read Yoga Sister Ramayana and you and understand that one, then you don't have to read anything else that will give me give you my philosophy, what I want to teach you." So I started reading that also. Every day I used to read a few pages, two to three pages and then go to meditation. So that is how I continued my sadhana. So whenever he used to come to Dehradun once a year for two to three months, mostly two months, at that time I used to be very preoccupied attending to him and the devotees who would come to the ashram looking after them, service to him. Uh, When he was not there physically, that was the time I used to get this much of time to sit for meditation.
2: And at that time, could you focus on meditation really well or your mind was still restless with other
1: thoughts? There was nothing much of a restlessness, though it was not a complete stillness also. uh, Because I had fallen in love with Swamiji that strength was tremendous in my consciousness mind so most of the time i used to see him either sometimes he was scolding me or i was worshipping him or he was just sitting i was seeing so that type of visual effects would happen most of the time and Sometimes I used to get the visions of either Ramana Maharishi or Adi Shankaracharya coming and sitting with me. So most of the time this used to be. Probably because I was very less exposed to the outside world also. Because my mind had surrendered to Swamiji. I never bothered why I should be working in the kitchen, why I should be dusting and mopping the area, why I should be working in the office. So my mind never brooded. I just accepted it, whatever my Guru wants, I have to work because first time he came to Dehradun after I had been there, 15 days later on a visit he came. The one sentence that created an impact was, he told me, if you clean the toilets of this ashram, you will know the essence of Bhagavad Gita. So that's how he told me and he used to emphasize on losing ego. That was one basic image he used to tell. Ego is the basic hurdle for every human being to progress on the path of spirituality. So that must be given up. You must be ready to undergo Any test by the divinity, eligibility will always be tested, he used to say. So what is the essence of the Bhagavad Gita that you learn while cleaning the toilet? Never feel egoistic that uh, either uh, my personality is this and I came for this purpose only, I should not be doing this or I'm belonging to any community or any religion or any such thing, nothing. Just surrender. He wants me to do it. Do it. This is my Guru's place. Let this service uh, reach him as a service to my uh, the divinity and let this become a sadhana to me like that I enjoy every moment. Mm.
2: Do you remember any interesting stories or incidents where it was something happened that was very challenging for you or that your ego or obstacles were coming very powerfully and how you overcame that? Uh,
1: very often it used to happen when he used to come. uh, He used to find fault and deliberately used to be scolding. He used to be very harshly scolding sometimes. For a long time he would scold. If he continued it, it would continue for 40 minutes, 30 minutes, one hour sometimes. He used to be shouting, shouting. It used to make us sometimes very nervous too. others would run away. So It was all his uh, methods of training, he wanted to make me perfect in everything and lose that ego. For a while sometimes it used to hurt, he used to sometimes deliberately humiliate in front of uh, public also, but very soon I used to recover thinking, no, this is Guru, for some reason he wants me to undergo this. He is doing this knowingly. He definitely is doing. He wants to train me. So like that I used to think again and again. And afterwards I used to forget and overcome that. Mm.
2: So your life went like this for more or less how many years?
1: For nearly 20 years. Uh, I had the fortune to serve at his lotus feet until he attained the Mahasamadhi in 1994. So this went on. He used to come there every year and then go away, then I used to continue with meditation. So all this step of, he used to, sometimes he used to narrate some stories also. Uh, First he used to scold for one hour, then he himself would tell. He used to be so nervous, I would never open my mouth at all. Either to talk to him or argue with him. Silently I used to be standing, but he himself would continue. Now that I have scolded you so much, I am sure you would like to run away from me. You must be entertaining these uh, thoughts, I can tell you. Uh, So since you met him, did you ever have doubt? As far as I remember, doubt didn't occur to me because mine was uh, Not that type of faith also, it was simply love outside, I just loved him. Whatever he is, whatever he is going to do to me, whatever he did. Like whenever, even when he used to scold me, pull me up, humiliate, though these are all things were test for my stability of mental stability, then I also used to become more stubborn mentally. Now that you have scolded me, I am going to become more devoted. I will take this challenge. You cannot disturb my devotion. Like that I used to think and used to become more firm. and I'm not going to go away because before going to the ashram I had given promise to my mother also, on my own I will not leave the ashram and run away. I will be there all the time unless he himself kicks, doesn't kicks me out. This promise I told my mother because my mother wanted, once you go on this path, I don't want you to come back. You must achieve, you must promise this. Otherwise if you come back, then I won't be able to show my face to relatives. I am sending you all my uh, blessings. So my mother stood by me strongly. I promised her also I won't come back very interesting how your mother was fully supporting you in your path. <laughs> yes, yeah, she was very great moral support throughout. Even until she was alive she used to write letters to me every once in a month at least she used to write and encourage me. You Don't demand that you want to come and see me. Whenever Swamiji permits if you come and see me that is enough. So she was very great support for me.
2: So, after Swamiji left his body, how, what happened next?
1: How did you start your tapas? For a while I was disturbed, definitely. When I went to Adiwarapeta, his birthplace, and when I saw his body was there, these thoughts came to this body. We used to give oil massage, we used to give him bath, I used to look after him, I used to give him food, he used to scold. Whenever he used to scold, I used to feel so secure at his lotus feet. It was like a mother and child's relation. So I always knew that he has nothing in his mind. He has a pure consciousness, being a yogi. Because whenever he used to scold, even if he used to scold for one hour, and asked me to get out of his room, you get out and don't show me your face he used to shout like that i used to just come out for 2 minutes i used to take a round of darshan the then again go back to his room and stand in front of him by then he would have forgotten that he was scolding me or asking me to get out he would talk to me very sweetly give me some sweets and forget and he used to be a very normal so like that we felt so very secure at his lotus feet always and when I saw this body, it was disturbing, I felt like crying also. I had so much attached to him. So Then after two days later, so all devotees performed his Samadhi. His body was placed inside the ground. So once that was done, so from there I left and I went to Mysore. Uh, in Mysore, on the outskirts there is a Chamundi Hills, mountain is there on which a beautiful temple for goddess in the form of Chamundeshwari is also there. I used to go there during my stay in Mysore University days and a priest of that temple had shown me a small cave nearby in the bushes, inside the bushes. So many times after telling my mother that I am going to college or tuition somewhere I used to go and sit there and do some meditation. Even one year before I took initiation from Swamiji also, I used to sit and try to practice of observing the way that Ramana Maharishi has advised. Closing eyes, sit down and try to observe from where that I source is coming. So that was also I used to practice. But after I got initiated by Swamiji, Before I joined his ashram also, for a couple of years, I used to go to that cave and sit there and practice meditation and there was another place, a cave, where my Guru used to take us sometime, sit there for some time, then feed all the devotees there, used to gather, they used to sing some devotional song. Swamiji used to tell, in that cave, sage Markandeya had done tapas. So he had worshipped Chamundeshwari God also. That's so Swamiji used to tell. I went to that cave place, Markandeya Ashram place, and sat there for three days. I was sitting there in meditation. I was a bit depressed and very sad that uh, the thing that I loved has gone now. So, my Swamiji is uh, not there. So, what I will do in this world? So, then on the third day, I had a vision of my Guru. He appeared. And he told, okay, you have to sit for tapas, now the time is right, it has come for you. Um, you have achieved by your selfless service for all these years to me, you have achieved the fruits of seven years of tapas. If you do five years of tapas, you will be able to achieve samadhi nirvikalp samadhi he said. Then I told uh, in that vision also. I don't think I can do tapas, I don't have any such idea. I want to sing bhajans and continue serving your ashram as long as I am alive. He said, no, I will create circumstances in such a way that you will have to go into tapas. So after that I left that place and I met my mother and others. Then I went back to the Dehradun ashram. Three months later in November, on 10th of November, I was doing arati, after I finished the arati, I saw my Guru appear on the dais in that place and he came down the dais, He holding my hand, he took me inside the room on the upstairs hall and there he made me to sit and he touched me in between eyebrows and just patted on the head and issued the same instruction to keep watching in between eyebrows without repeating anything. And not to open the eyes and at the same time I heard also from this room either you will come out as a yogi or your dead body must come out, you should not abandon the practice. These sentences I said, so that's how I went into a five years tapas. So five years I remained in that room, I practiced 18 to 19 hours of tapas and after five years only I came out of that room. That so was how my tapas uh, happened.
2: So, for five years you were inside the room meditating 18 to 19 hours a day?
1: Yes. yes. What about physical pain? Would your body go into pain? So, whenever I used to come out of Samadhi, okay, the family who was staying in the ashram and Ambaji, she also used to come and stay with me for a long time. She had become quite attracted to me. They all used to massage my body and help me to overcome any such pains. When I used to come out of Samadhi only, a lot of enormous pain used to appear. So before that I wouldn't notice that one. but at that time they all used to give me oil massage thoroughly and help me to overcome that pain long times. So they looked after, Ambaji looked after me specifically by giving me the right type of food. Because I used to take a vegetable soup or sometimes the dal and rice, watery dal and rice type of thing. Occasionally sometimes I used to take milk also. Many times if milk didn't suit me, I used to take the vegetable things. So you
2: used to eat once a day at that time? Or
1: yes, once a time.
2: So, you, you wake up, you start doing meditation, you go
1: into Samadhi, you I used to have a bar after the Almasay. Then I used to eat the food and probably one hour I used to rest after that, taking that food. Then only I used to go back to meditation again.
2: And what type of experiences did you have at the time in, in Samadhi?
1: Uh, Samadhi type of experience before that, lot of visions used to come, manifestations used to happen. My Guru also used to appear every month and guide me through. So, all the time, most of the time he was advising was, whatever happens, just watch and do not react in any way. Just don't consider anything as real and do not react anyway. So, whatever numerous experiences came, Sometimes uh, astral traveling to different local and then it used to appear as if they were all simply illusion. It's like a laboratory type of practical experience. A thing would manifest, when it manifested it would appear so solid and real, as real as this universe and then if I just was watching then it would disappear, then it disappeared then the consciousness would become aware that every appearance is simply an illusion and this is not a truth of existence. I must go for the truth of existence. So that is how these things continue for me.
2: So the meditation is focusing on the space between the eyebrows? Yes. And when you are in deep
1: samadhi, is your focus still here or the object is gone? Nay, Only in the beginning. One or first two years or one and a half years I, I think I used to have that uh, watching in between eyebrows. Once the mind 100% gathers then what I experienced was it lifts the body consciousness also. This body consciousness what you would have heard as kundalini and the mind called consciousness they both are the same mass means made up of same substance consciousness and energy. One portion which has gone into universe you call it as mind with thoughts, another portion has gone into the body it is like coiled energy is the meaning of kundalini means. There are a lot of myths about these things but actually it is only a consciousness that is spread in the body. That is why you have obtained yourself as the body of your own existence because of this Potency of tremendous consciousness that is stuck with the brain, this one. So when you do tapas, 100% mind gathers first. Before it comes, it manifests everything and disappears. Then mind recedes, then it manifests, then it disappears. So your ability to just watch is important. If you react to anything, you get involved into the illusion and the time might be lost in the tapas. But I was guided by my Guru's appearance, all that time, just to be watching, not to react, do not make any judgment. That's why even in my teachings also constantly that keeps coming to me, not to make any judgment and analyzation. This was what I heard from my Guru's appearances, not to make any judgment, just keep watching. So everything would disappear. So when that happened, it lifts body consciousness. These both become a pure consciousness of mind and getting dealing from the brain. For a while, a seeker feels as if he is here on the head. All the energy consciousness has come here. And after that, you lose location and consciousness of the body. There is no location to explain anything. Simply an awareness of existence is there. That is the nearest terminology I can use and that is totally peace. Previous to that, a lot of bliss will be there. I was guided to go for peace. So peace is the composed, settled thing. It will never give you any excitement. But the bliss can always give you excitement. So that's what the experience I had.
2: Hmm. And during those days when you came out of Samadhi every day for a few hours, would the self awareness be lost and
1: thoughts reappear, or would that continue? It continued. Though I was eating some food, I was talking to my people also. In the fourth, fifth year, I was permitted to see people also with open eyes. So once a week, I used to meet people and sit for some time in front of them. So, and listen to their problems also, if they have anything to convey to me also any bodily problems or spiritual doubts, all sustained. what I could observe, the consciousness was totally silent and still, there was no craving or disturbance, no imaginations occurred. It was in that awareness all the time. I felt it was like a test a vehicle mechanic does. After checking everything, he would accelerate the vehicle and apply the brakes whether it will stop or not. So while watching this world also, uh, the mind remains stopped or whether it will jump into craving is like a test for that.
2: And so when was the the breakthrough during the tapas, the moment that the, the ego simply dissolved and never reappeared
1: again? I cannot recall exactly the day, but the same vision came that also, that uh, with this your eye will go now and I won't appear again. Before that, so I had the vision of Lord Shiva and Parvati. Probably due to our own previous resolutions, these things appear. So you had to overcome that. Then only the merger happens. Different seekers may have different experiences. Probably my Guru used to worship Lord Shiva as his Guru. That's why my conscience would have taken it. So then I saw. Shiva and Parvati, as uh, Ardhana, ardhanarishvara half male and female, when they appear, they said that your tapas is complete, so you can ask for any powers because of your tapas only. We have manifested ourselves in this way, but uh, what I learned was, you can never cheat your own consciousness. Your own consciousness is what is God recognized, that way you cannot cheat God. Whatever is inside you, the same thing will come out. You cannot keep something inside and talk something else through your mouth. So that suddenly it came out. I said, Ki, I don't have to become famous and no power is interested. I am happy serving at the lotus feet of my Guru. I am attached to my Guru. I would like to remain there. Then they blessed and disappeared. And my Guru also appeared. Every time he used to ask, Ki, what happened when the appearance happened? I told my experience this is the thing. Then he blessed. Now all appearances has come to an end. So your tapas is really complete. You won't have any such manifestations anymore, he said, and thus he disappeared. And I saw him emerging within me. So that was the one experience. So after that simply that awareness was there. The idea of the I had completely vanished totally. After that it never came. So this was sometime in nineteen ninety-nine, after five years. So that is when in, in that appearance only I told he, you can come out of the tapas. And he suggested because he was appearing every full moon day. So I decided to come out on a full moon day and told my people I will come out, I have finished. I'll be coming out on the full moon day of 1999, in that month of the Kartika. So that was how I finished my Tassilki that that
2: That's an absolutely amazing uh, journey. Now, when you say I, nowadays, what, is, what does it mean? What does that word mean?
1: Actually, this I is only for sake of communication that mechanically comes out of this mouth. Without any imagination within me. My consciousness doesn't have any such imagination of the I anymore, whether I am belonging to this community or this country or this personality, this culture, or this relationship. Such things never occur. So it is I think it simply mechanically come
2: for sake of conversation. So your feeling of self awareness of being now is not related to the body in Yes, it is not related to the
1: body, so it is just in itself, that is the amazing. This one you have to experience to believe it. There are really no words, no sentence, no definition, no limit to tell that one. Simply I this much only tell it is the awareness of the consciousness of existence and this of awareness is what you call God? Yes. I think this is what the ancient sages also recognized as God. Because in one example, how I can give you a clue, like your mind. In your mind, hundreds and millions of characters are there. A story, a different world, everything is there. For all that story, it is your mind which has created, for all those characters which are all there, they are all like the droplets of that mind's consciousness. So that mind is God for all those characters. So in the same way, that self is the ultimate truth into which the awareness has happened. That is what is recognized as God also and real self also. Is this self changing? Is the self the creator of the universe? Self doesn't, itself doesn't change, it itself doesn't create also, it is a very peculiar thing. Only a small spark of that comes out probably if at all a creation happens because at that stage it doesn't even appear as if something has happened. So only that visualizes, when it visualizes it comes out of that mothership time from the divinity. For a yogi, it doesn't stay there longer, it goes back to the self. But for, probably before the realization for a person it goes out and it goes out and gets involved into its own imagination. Thus it travels a long distance in illusion and in imagination only. To get rid of that imagination, is what you have to do, meditation so that you finish all those imagination. The more it becomes silent, it's the return journey back to the Self and then it settles there and it is the contentment because there is no need of anything else there. So this, this realization was also the end of all suffering? Yes. And what you realize is there was no suffering at all, that's what you realize but it was only the suffering was there in imagination only it's the mind which really suffers
2: and so the the tool for for normal people for people of the world if they want to experience a little bit of that if they want to get closer to this state of self realization so the, the main path is meditation
1: One of the main path is meditation and the basic idea should be to get rid of all imaginations of the mind. Silence of the mind needs to be achieved. That is when that mind will regain its original form of consciousness and it becomes aware of itself. Because this is made up of consciousness, wherever it is applied it becomes aware of it. When you apply into the worldly objects, it becomes aware of that existence, but it doesn't stop into the object. It gets involved into an imagination of analyzation, what it is, after it recognizes then what it is, then this is it. These two things, it makes a judgment and absorbs an imprint. So that is how it gets involved. It does stops, but if all this imagination is stopped, when it gets applied to itself, all imagination totally evaporates. Because that existence is beyond imagination. That existence is not an imagined one, not a created one. It always existed like that. Any other existence which is a created one will generate an imagination of analyzing and judgmental effects, definitely. That is the difference between the divinity and the matter, this world, the universe. We usually recommend people to meditate one hour a day? At least one hour is recommended because the first 30-40 minutes the mind struggles. It's running like a monkey. You are trying to bring it back. Final 10 minutes it might warm up and start staying. So that's how that much of time is required one hour is recommended and if possible slowly increase a little more little more like that.
2: and what about the other activities of daily life how can we live our life in the world with our duties in a way that is conductive to
1: to spiritual growth and to detachment and to when you practice at least one hour of meditation and in that one hour when the mind starts staying still and quiet more and more, like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, one day, whole one hour it is just still and quiet, afterwards when you come out you will see most of the time mind just doesn't jumps into your craving very quickly, all its agitations all decrease, it doesn't feel hurt also anything. It doesn't feel any connection to this universe at all, if it happens okay, if it doesn't happen okay that type of thing will be there and the peace descends. So this is what happens. So even if you talk of analyzing anything or any making any judgment, mind will not absorb it as an imprint, it will not become a habit of the mind. Just for sake of that time that will be told. Like as we were discussing about the eye, even if I tell that I am doing this, that will not be absorbed as an imprint, that I am really doing, because that eye doesn't exist at all, so I am doing also has no meaning. So that's how everything dissolves there.
2: And apart from meditation, there are other paths that people can follow through the same goal.
1: There are other paths, like the karma yoga is taught, Karma Yoga's basic meaning, when you live in this world, it is very normal for you to have a desire to achieve something. To achieve something you have to put an effort. You must put an effort, don't give up. But when the result comes, you have to understand that result is not in your hand. You have to accept whatever happens. There is no universal guarantee in this world that everything will happen according to your expectations only. You might be having something in the mind, something else might crop up. If you accept that one, the mind recedes and becomes quiet. Whenever it becomes quiet, it goes towards its divinity only. It has no third way. Either it has to be in this world with imagination or when it becomes quiet, it goes to its origin which is recognized as the real self or divinity. So that is how the karma yoga also happens. That is the idea, acceptance in this world. Then you can live a normal life and acceptance. Devotional path. So if you are emotional, you fall in love with that divinity and start with an imagination. Try to grow that imagination so that one day that imagination grows Beyond any imagination, all-pervadedness, it is simply everything, like we used to think as a youngster, I used to think in the devotional path, this is my guru, he is all in all, he is in everything, As everything, so whatever happens it is he, for me it is he, that type of visualization, so then you fall in love with that one then you become devoted. Devoted means all your attention is always there. You are serious. So this is the devotional path's main ingredients. Do people need to believe in anything to start this path? They need to believe in themselves. self-confidence should never be lost. Like my guru used to tell you, lose anything but do not lose faith. If you lose that one, no God can help you. You must maintain and cultivate that one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Babaji, what is karma and how does that work in our lives? A karma is acquired by the mind with the idea of doership. I am doing. Either a doership idea or a guilt feeling, something the mind absorbs. Whatever you do, the mind absorbs it as an imprint. If you have not practiced the spiritual uh, austerities thoroughly, for an ordinary person, mind absorbs everything as the doership. I am doing this, I have to do this. That ego crops up, automatically crops up. It's very difficult to catch this ego in what which form when and where it crops up you can never tell that is the most secret thing that will simply crop up and troubles it can happen to any person anywhere anytime so that must be overcome that is what is important so if this happens then you can overcome the karma also And when all imaginations are gone there is no karma in the mind at all because it is the mind which experiences it is the mind which visualizes, it is the mind which develops its own attitude. You see this world would appear to you based on your mental attitude, whether a thing is good or a bad. Sitting with a saint could be very pleasurable, peaceful for some. For some it could be very irritative and if they have come for some other reason and they are forced to be there. They would be cursing, when will this session finish us, Right? when when will I be able to go away from here. It is the mental attitudes. I have nothing to do. Sun has nothing to do. Whichever object goes in front, it will get the light. That is why faith is taught in devotion. Whoever has the faith, they will receive our blessings automatically.
2: I have one final question about Ahimsa which is a non-violence, you, you speak about ahimsa. But sometimes in our lives, we, it's hard to see where is the, the line. Where should I kind of uh, protect my boundary so not to be abused or used? Uh, and where should I just accept things as they are? You
1: see, two important words, to be defensive, to go offensive. These two differences there. So you go offensive if you have a greed, if you have an ambition, if you want to trouble someone, you cannot restrain yourself. You have a right to defend yourself. So if you practice spiritual austerities, you will know when and where to stop. So this you will be able to cultivate, you will be able to restrain yourself. When absolutely necessary only, you will... Take up that thing to defend yourself. You will avoid till the last moment as much as possible. Otherwise, we can definitely avoid conflicts and we can maintain a nonviolent posture. All of us can live in happiness, at peace, if only we learn to live for each other instead of being against each other. What is required is love and honor, forgiveness. So not to trouble others is what is important. So thus, if you practice non violence it will be possible. Is there anything else that you would like to
2: say, any final message for the seekers?
1: Determined efforts is very much necessary. On the three mantras in your life, dedication, Discipline and patience. This is the mantra I've been teaching throughout my teaching life. Dedication means you have to set a priority. You must understand the need. Like you know that you need food to sustain your body. You will go out of way to earn your livelihood. You will not wait for a guru like me to come and give you a lecture that you need to earn your livelihood. In the same way, the day you will understand it is you who needs the peace and happiness you are looking for and that is there, then you will go for that. There is 24 hours, my guru used to tell, it is not available in a shopping complex. You have to take out the time. That is that dedication. Discipline, if you are disciplined without fail, every day you will practice. Discipline is not a bondage. Many people misunderstand. If I had not disciplined myself into that monastic life, I wouldn't have achieved anything in my life. So that is discipline. Every day at that given time, practice because it is the practice which can make you perfect. And patience is very important. Patience pays rich dividends because mind has gone out of control since time in memory. It will take some time for you to bring it bring it bring down its restlessness and control that one, overcome all imagination. So do not give up patience because mind is the most infinite thing. You cannot catch hold with any other object. Mind itself has to bring itself into the rest and receding aspect of the consciousness.
2: Thank you very much for your message and your presence, Baba.
1: You're welcome. Thank you also for giving me this opportunity to share my experiences with some beautiful questions. I hope and wish that whoever listened to this, they will be benefited, they will understand the essence of being on the spiritual path, peace and self-realization. May all beings in all worlds be happy. That is our blessings.